Good morning, people of Earth. This is the Stream of Random Podcast. It is an experimental, unscripted, unplanned form of modern art, where I, your host, Hacker Mike, from the heart of New Jersey, the capital city, which was once supposed to be the capital of America, which we just found out recently. It was a contender. So now, You're joining me on my morning walk. It's 4.22 in the morning. Good morning. And uh, I don't have the streets completely to myself. Looks like someone from the K9 unit is just standing on the street corner. I guess it's just some guy walking his German Shepherd, huh? was really weird. So, I listened to uh, yesterday's podcast a little bit, and I was breathing pretty heavily. So I moved the mic up, further up, so um, it won't catch my breathing as much. But I am uh, walking fast, and I just woke up, so I guess my breathing will normalize, I hope, as we go. Today I don't have a lot of inspiration to talk about things. Um, I had a troubled sleep, a lot of worries on my mind, but I will tell you about this game I've been playing. It's called Minecraft, and it's an award-winning game. It's a very simple, simple game. It's a 3D world with big blocks. And uh, you join into the world, and you don't have anything. And your first job is to build a shelter. So you have to go punch trees. And if you punch a tree like 10 times, it'll pop out a block of wood. And if you have uh, two or three blocks of wood, you can create yourself 
a crafting bench. And with a crafting bench, you can create wooden axes with more wood. And so on and so forth. Then you build different things. And we talked about this in the show a lot. Yeah, and I do take these long breathing and thought pauses between my words. Well, that's just part of the show, guys. <clears throat> Clearing my throat. I was just listening. It's like something's gonna. I hope you'll overlook those uh, little items. Maybe you won't. But this is part of what we have here. So anyway, I'll tell you my little story here. So there's uh, different modes you can play the game in. Creative mode where you have ultimate god powers and survival mode where you have to survive. And um, when I originally played with my son on the Xbox, I picked up a copy of the game for like two or three dollars or whatever because it's Xbox 360, so it's an old console. And we played a little bit. But um, then I said to him, okay, well, let's play in survival mode with no cheats and see how far we can get. So we played and we played and we played and we built this, um, this whole base and an extensive tunnel network. And eventually he got bored with playing. I kept on playing. This is on the Xbox 360. And he moved on to other things, and I was fascinated by this game. And it's very relaxing. And I found these challenges, like programming challenges, where actually you're not writing code, but you're setting up scenarios. And you're trying to trick the AI. And I found that quite challenging as a programmer. And fun. And has a random aspect to it. But it's all very interesting. So I've been focused on how to hack the system <clears throat> by setting up traps that will automatically kill monsters and collect their loot, or weaken them so you can hit them with one shot. So I create this system where the monsters would fall down, but they wouldn't fall to their death because you get more points by killing them manually. But then it would collect so many monsters in one area that it would actually crash the game. And that's where the trouble started. After we crashed the game so many times, I guess the world file got corrupted. And eventually, I couldn't play the thing anymore. So now I had to abandon the Xbox 360. So we started on the PC with a newer version of Minecraft. We installed this module called <clears throat> immersive engineering which includes 
windmills and coal-fired coke furnaces and like all types of ways to create steel from iron and basically realistic type engineering things that you can build or the whole chain of technology so we're starting out from scratch yesterday and playing together actually and then I wanted to make a copy of the of the world so I could upgrade it and add in more modules and it basically, they all got deleted, the whole thing got deleted. And I was very sad. <clears throat> now you can reproduce the world. So the way the worlds work is that you have a seed number. And based upon that seed, it generates a random world using an algorithm. But if you know the seed number, you can always go back to the same world. And all the random things will be in that same spot in that version of the game. So there's like towns and dungeons or abandoned mines and mountains and so forth. So we had started out in a forest, it was pretty cool. And there was towns around us and underneath the town there was an abandoned mine. So everything was running perfectly. But when the game crashed, we started over. I started over again yesterday. And I realized... I know it's stupid. I really do. But I felt a sense of loss. Also because they didn't write down the seed number. So if I at least had written down the seed number, I would have known what world I was in. And I could have gone back to it. And it's really like a mathematical structure. You know how Plato says that you uncover the truth and you discover things instead of creating them? Well, in Minecraft you truly do discover them. You unearth them. And it's all a random function. But, um... Well, the world is random in terms of it's generated at one time and saved. So all the positions of all the blocks are known. You just can't see them. Now, I suppose you could create an algorithm that would analyze that world file and calculate, like a traveling salesman, all the blocks to visit in the right order to have the ultimate... <clears throat> to have the ultimate effect. But you can also just go into creative mode and um, give yourself all these items. So that would be a cheat, really. I mean, the fun part is the discovering. And it's kind of like solitaire, where you turn over the card when, you, when you're in the mines and you... Um, break a block and you find diamonds, it's like, oh wow, I found something. It's like turning over cards, and that's kind of what the addiction is, it's kind of like a gambling game, really. Definitely has a gambling-like element to it. A game of chance, which is why they say that's the devil's game, under the, uh, 
fundamentalist uh, religious people. So Jocko must be being hit hard because he doesn't have so many guests on, like authors. He has a lot of his own people on, and he's doing a lot of self-promotion. When you say, when I always say the principle is if you're talking about yourself, it's advertising. Well, they're uh, talking about themselves a lot, and he has all of his employees on all the time, talking about their books and what they do, and I was just thinking, wow, they must be really desperate for customers at this point, with their echelon front. So. I don't know, just an observation. But Jocko's the one who got me to wake up at four in the morning and go for my walks or to work out. I mean, I'm not really working out. I guess I could just go to the gym right now. Maybe I'll stop by the gym and see if it's open. That would be interesting. So, I noticed that I lost muscle mass. I went to the gym, I did my regular routine, and I found it hard to um, do the 90 pound shoulder press that I was doing before. And I was only able to do uh, 60, but I had to bring it down to 50 just for more repetition. So I'm really down to 50. So, um, six months of not going to the gym even if I'm using kettlebells and walking and doing some basic workout it's not I really lost my progress so I am gonna go back all right well my dad sent me a voicemail from yesterday which I will play and thanks dad for that I appreciate it so I'll play his voicemail, my true fan, and um, yeah, he said that he liked my show about Buddha and he even called me and, and congratulated me and told me I had some insights, so I thought that was sweet. I thought I did have some good insights into the Buddha and reframing and deconstructing some of his message in a different context. Maybe I'm wrong. But I'm giving you at least a different perspective on it, some a different way to think about it. Even if it is wrong, I have my justifications. Of course, I like to believe in the spiritual, and I like to believe in the enlightenment as some holy, amazing flash of endorphins, and I'm sure it was. I'm 
sure it was for him. I think that would be, but that really falls under underneath the principle of the um, imprint, where we have different levels of consciousness being imprinted. And when you reach these higher meditative states, you're just imprinting new circuits with a fingerprint or some map or some way to remember them back to them you're creating neural networks which is the important part you're constructing the reality okay it's not like the enlightenment is just there waiting to happen the enlightenment is constructed these are neural pathways that you build through training so it's not like you just snap your fingers or take a pill and they're already there and the door opens up. <sighs> At least that's my theory now. That they're constructed and not discovered. <sighs> and even the Minecraft level is constructed based on a algorithm. So that algorithm is the code which was also constructed. It basically construct millions and millions of worlds following a certain pattern. And the one that you see is the one that you choose through that number. Random numbers are quite hard to actually accomplish on a computer because they're deterministic. Okay, so I'm going to play uh, the voicemail and then we're going to get into some clips. I'm going to go check out Jim. We're going to see what's happening. And I will check in with you guys later. I want to commend you on your last, your last um, podcast about Buddha and other things. It was really an amazing, amazing podcast and it really... Um, shows that you're really thinking and uh, not tied into a the regular thought patterns bravo good for you i'm proud of you take care yeah so thanks dad and um i appreciate you being one of my few you're in an exclusive club of one of the few listeners to this show so i just did a one set quick workout at the gym I do enjoy my walks better even if I'm not getting buffed the same way but I did the sled pull with four times 45 
well, eight times 45 actually pounds. Plus the sled weight, I push that. But I used to be able to do it more. I could barely push it one, one round back and forth. So I've definitely lost strength. And I'm not gonna overdo it. Um, I just did a couple reps of everything. Got my heart moving. And I'm gonna take it slow to rebuild my uh, condition to where it was. <clears throat> but that's good. I need to figure out some sports mask. So like a super thin mask I can wear while doing sports because that's what everyone has on. And it's not like I support the mask idea, but I don't want to make people feel uncomfortable. So it's better to have the thinnest mask ever than to have no mask because it's a psychological thing. And, uh, you know, I noticed that people who just give the paroles, if you just say, if someone questions you about the virus, you can just say, and this is what a lot of people say, they'll just tote the line, they'll say, oh, I can't wait till we have the vaccine, we can all go back to normal. That's all you have to say, and then everyone will leave you alone. They'll say, oh yeah, yeah, he's one of us. <clears throat> so instead of arguing with people, you just lie to them. Just say, hey, I can't wait for that vaccine, and everything will go back to normal. Even if you know full well that it's not true. Just get people out of your face. I think that's what someone, some people do. So, all right now, I'm listening to this free talk live and they have these two guests on. One of them is a Polish guy from New York and he's ranting about how New York is horrible. And it's pretty entertaining. I might even clip it. And the other guy is a sovereign citizen who um, when he applied for his passport, he disclaimed um, citizenship and allegiance to America. And he still got his passport. So there's some really interesting people. And um, but I'm not sure I want to clip them because I have some super cool, super geeky New Books Network uh, shows to listen to, which you aren't going to hear. And we have a new Gary Knoll. So I think I'm going to listen to uh, Gary Knoll and see if we can clip out a choice rant of the day from Gary. Because I did, <laughs> I did get some feedback on the Gary rant that somebody liked it yesterday. So, um, we'll, uh, we'll see what we can come up with. All right. All right. <clears throat> now it's time for another Gary Knoll clip on Wikipedia. Now, I am a supporter of open knowledge and the sharing of knowledge, but I am also a victim of discriminatory practices on Wikipedia and I too have felt the pain of being attacked and having no recourse. There is quite a lot wrong with Wikipedia and I think it needs some reform 
and I think Gary is doing a good job in calling attention to some issues that should be fixed. Um, I also think I think uh, that things are being lost and that the true purpose of the project is not being served by the deletionism. But I also understand the deletionism now, after all these years of running the speedy deletion wiki. And I also talked about this topic a few times in the show, so you can go back and look for old episodes on it if you want more details. I'm going to play this clip. It's a little bit long. He's working on a petition. When I tried to sign the petition, the site was down. It was taken down. I have on my phone right now, so I don't feel like jerking around looking for some link. He didn't provide a link to the petition, but uh, let's hear what Gary has to say about Wikipedia again. A, a special commentary. It'll be posted today. As many of you know, I'm taking the lead on challenging Wikipedia. I've written 71 articles. I've sent 11 legal letters. Right now we have a, a massive amount of people signing uh, as signatories to a petition to ask the 5,000 plus, uh, more or less, uh, Wikipedia contrib uh, donors that they reconsider. It's a very it's a very nice letter, no threats, but what we do is we attach that letter showing them all the things Wikipedia really stands for, the lack of scholarship, their lack of credibility, acknowledgement, transparency, their biases, their character assassination on anyone involved with complementary alternative health and the consequences of that. I can't, I can't imagine that from 58 countries some of the most uh, respected authorities in those countries, Nobel Prize winners and professors emeritus, uh, heads of colleges and universities, they're all signing this petition. It's just amazing. I did not expect that. Well, you can too. You can go to PRN and read it, sign it, and we're sending them out every single day. Hundreds per day have been for two weeks. But now we have two more efforts we're going to make to challenge Wikipedia. And each one gets stronger. The next two will occur over the next four weeks, and then on the fifth week that that happens, and it'll, it'll, I'll announce it, then I'll announce the, uh, the press conference we'll have with Robert Kennedy Jr. and a lot of other people on the lawsuits we're bringing against individual editors, lots of editors. Now, standing behind me are hundreds of people who've been libeled, whose reputations have been destroyed, who have had no opportunity to correct anything because they won't allow you to correct anything. It's all a pack of lies what Wikipedia stands for when it comes to its objectivity and fairness. There is no fairness to those of us who've had our reputation slandered. So that's why I'm doing this. It takes a lot of scholarship, a lot of time, but we're just deconstructing the myth that Wikipedia is a legitimate encyclopedia. In our opinion, it's not. <clears throat> that's why I'm doing these. At the same time, to show what they chose to not include in a completely false and derogatory bio that I didn't put up there, they put it up there and then they keep adding to it and protect it so you can't change it. I've shown the truth. I didn't think after being in the public eye for 53 years I would have to do this, but I had to. My lawyer suggested that I 
they want to take into court everything they've actually achieved. I mean, at a national or world-class level in 17 different fields. So that is being done now, and it's already up there. You can go and download it for yourself. It's the video bios, 21 of them. And that's the real history. So this is just the next in this. It's called Wikipedia, a roadmap to a catastrophic future. So during the past 19 years, Wikipedia has risen to the admirable status as the world's most formidable and trusted encyclopedia to educate and inform the public about acceptable and unacceptable medical systems and therapies and interventions. Now, although there are no accurate figures, our best guesstimate is that there are billions of searches on Wikipedia about health topics over the years. However, here is the problem, and it's a very serious and potentially life-threatening problem about relying upon Wikipedia's content regarding many medical modalities. For example, virtually everything that comes up for searches on alternative and complementary medicine is negative, it's toxic, and provides an unscientifically founded and derogatory narrative. It's all wrong. Today, there are hundreds of thousands of highly qualified and board-certified physicians and licensed practitioners who have extensive training and clinical experience in a large variety of complementary and alternative disciplines, chiropractic, naturopathy, orthomolecular medicine, acupuncture, traditional Chinese medicine, homeopathy, functional medicine, holistic dentistry, veterinary sciences, therapeutic massage, yoga, even nutritional help. Moreover, across the span of these therapies, there are millions of peer-reviewed studies that in many cases are largely supportive of the scientific veracity for the safety and efficacy of these complementary therapies. Therefore, how is it possible that all these doctors around the world all these practitioners, many from leading medical schools, top universities, top hospitals, can all be lumped into a single pool and labeled wrong or delusional. Not only are they cast as being in error, but also as villains and quacks and charlatans for offering medical interventions that Wikipedia disingenuously classifies as pseudosciences. So what might be the motivation behind Wikipedia's efforts to mischaracterize and defame entire medical practices, most of which are decades, if not centuries, older than conventional pharmaceutical-based medicine? For us, the answer is blatantly apparent. To categorically destroy the reputations and growing popularity of these medical systems and their advocates, that's their, that's their motive. Destroy everyone in complementary and alternative medicine, everyone. Yet the arrogance of Wikipedia editors goes beyond simply disparaging complementary practitioners. It is also a condemnation of many millions of patients, hundreds of millions of patients per year, who have found relief and benefit and even actual cures for illnesses by following non-conventional medical protocols, either alone or together with standard orthodox medicine. When we examine the backgrounds of many of the Wikipedia editors who control their entries, we inevitably find individuals who have absolutely no professional experience on the very subjects they are condemning. They have no medical degrees, 
There are a couple of physicians, but the vast majority have no medical, no science backgrounds in there at all. They have never conducted clinical trials or ever treated a patient with any of these therapies, yet they stand in judgment of them. They have never published anything in a notable peer-reviewed medical publication or journal, and yet they judge them or deny they exist. But worse, they remain completely anonymous by concealing their real identities. Aside from whatever backgrounds they reveal on their personal Wikipedia pages or their little badges they display for their years of volunteering to compose and edit, what they share in common is a resounding and fanatical belief in modern skepticism. Over the years, organizations associated with the movement known as skepticism which is a dogmatic, scientific, materialistic view that traces its origin back to the mid-19th century. It was it's been discovered that Wikipedia's lack of organizational oversight and control over the encyclopedia's content has made it an ideal platform to promulgate the skeptic ideology and to discredit legitimate medical, psychological, and scientific areas of research it disagrees with. You could give it a 1,000 studies, 10,000 studies, 100,000 studies on a topic from the peer-reviewed literature. It'll just dismiss it, <clears throat> even though it has no studies on its own that are qualified. It is not uncommon to discover that for any given entry dealing with a particular complementary and alternative medical therapy or biography of one of its advocates, skeptic editors monitor and far outnumber honest editors without conflicts of interest who struggle to keep the pages neutral unbiased and free of defamatory language. The French philosopher and radical atheist and father of what is called positivism, Auguste Comte, back in 1857, he can be properly identified as the architect for the scientific materialism that modern skeptics embrace. He said, science is our only source of genuine knowledge about the world. He also said, it is the only way to understand humanity's place in the world, and science provides the only credible view of the world as a whole, end quote. Wow. Then any of the mystics, any of the people who have found through vision and faith a connection to a larger, more meaningful purpose to life, the sacredness of life, none of that counts, <clears throat> not to this person. We have likely heard this kind of argument many times before. It is called religious fundamentalism, a subjective belief that is framed in a mentality contrived as a conception of false absolutes and a primitive logic based upon fear and only seeing the world in terms of black and white, good and evil. There are many serious and potentially catastrophic consequences to this dogma. Nevertheless, it is the indispensable premise upon which skepticism bases its vehement assault on complementing alternative therapies. The tragedy is skepticism constructs a view of life that is intrinsically amoral. There can be no incentive to act ethically, spiritually, morally, or develop human values that provide life with meaning and purpose if the only thing that exists are atoms, molecules, and neuroactivity to account for the thoughts, creativity, and feelings of human beings. The problem is that there is not a single study that provides unquestionable evidence 
to support a view of life reduced to only matter. <clears throat> Nor has it reached any consensus within the scientific community. Therefore, for the militant skeptic, we are nothing more than computers, machines. The mind and consciousness are illusion. One very popular celebrity skeptic is the philosopher of mind, John Cyril, at the University of California, Berkeley. He, and he puts it simply that, that in one of his quotes, he said, mental phenomena are caused by neurophysiological processes in the brain and are themselves features of the brain, hence denying the, the capacity of mind and spirit. Yet here lies one of skeptics' hypocrisies. That is, by their own argument, their belief in scientism's ultimate truth is nothing more than a mental illusion itself. More dangerous, this is a doctrinal belief that confirms that there is no need for ethical behavior and the cultivation of higher values if we are nothing more than a brain composed of fat, protein, water, and electrical currents. This is the underlying belief motivating Wikipedia skeptic editors. It is the incentive behind their mission to eradicate many alternative health practices which either deviate or are contrary to this 19th century determinist belief on Wikipedia. Like a kennel of Pavlovian dogs, the most devoted Wikipedia editors who spend hour upon hour daily composing and editing entries are conditioned by the bells and whistles to receive rewards that have been created by its co-founder Jimmy Wells. Skeptic editors v for the I for the accumulating rewards for the number of entries composed, the number of edits, the and for deliberating in editorial conflicts. In return, editors receive more administrative authority and special privileges to make final rulings on controversial content. Skeptics have excelled in gaming this decrepit Skinnerian reward system and consequently possess administrative control over a minimum of a thousand entries. With the full support of Jimmy Wells, who embraces the catastrophic skeptic philosophy, these editors are capable of holding non-conventional medical disciplines and its, and its practitioners in a perpetual Wikipedia gulag. Fortunately, there is now a growing number of voices turning away from Wikipedia and condemning its skeptics' orientation. We have heard back from department chairs at university and also medical schools, many professors, a Nobel Prize laureate, presidents of associations, editors of many medical and health journals, and physicians and licensed practitioners from all forms of medical practice, including the dental and veterinary sciences, and former Wikipedia editors who have walked away from Wikipedia and who refuse to assist its funding. In our opinion, skeptic editors represent a modern-day scientific cult using the encyclopedia as a psychological death squad, Robespierrean guillotine court without due process to silence complementary and alternative medicine. It is a modern-day hate group of alt-science. Real evidence-based medicine means nothing to them. Rather, it is a psychopathological effort to raise skeptic dogma as the ultimate in inquisitional court of a medical orthodoxy aligned with the drug-based pharmaceutical paradigm. Skepticism and its humanitarian threats to health and genuine well-being needs to be more thoroughly understood by Wikipedia users 
and society at large. More scholars, journalists, citizens need to be taking it to task and deconstructing the fallacies behind its foundational principles. To permit skepticism to increase its influence on the Internet and university campuses will be catastrophic and it's a nihilistic recipe for disaster and will condemn future generations to come with the despair of psychological illnesses because in a skeptic world, there's no meaning or purpose in life. Sadly, this is already coming to In this next clip, Gary uh, plays an Australian journalist who talks about the use of the, the cases of Sweden and Switzerland and how they dealt with COVID. And he said that Sweden is essentially um, COVID-free now. Two words that should put the fear of God into every politician in this country, every highly paid bureaucrat, every chief medical officer, every health administrator and every unemployed man and woman now looking at lives shattered, careers devastated, dreams obliterated and futures destroyed. Two words that are also two European countries, Sweden and Switzerland. Let's start with Sweden. Four months ago, we interviewed on Outsiders Professor Johan Giesecker, the former state epidemiologist for Sweden and the mentor to Anders Tegnell, who has been in charge of Sweden's controversial response to COVID-19. On that show, which any politician in Australia could have chosen to watch, Professor Johan Giesecker spelt out in crystal clear detail that you could not eradicate the coronavirus, you could only slow it down, and that the only people that should be quarantined were the elderly and the vulnerable as a preventative measure. A major lockdown, he warned, such as they did in the UK, and we are now seeing in Victoria and New Zealand, he warned would simply leave the population without herd immunity, so permanently vulnerable, and in the process completely destroy our economies. Let me now quote from Friday's editorial in the UK Telegraph, not some crazy conspiracy rag, but one of Britain's most respected newspapers. Here's what they said. So now we know Sweden got it largely right and the British establishment catastrophically wrong. And as Tegnell, Stockholm's epidemiologist king, has pulled off a remarkable triple whammy. Far fewer deaths per capita than Britain, a maintenance of basic freedoms and opportunities and most strikingly, a recession less than half as severe as our own. Our arrogant quangocrats, says the UK Telegraph editorial, and state experts should hang their heads in shame. Their reaction to coronavirus was one of the greatest public policy blunders in modern history. Millions will lose their jobs. Tens of thousands of small businesses are failing. Vast numbers are likely to die from untreated or undetected illnesses. Sound familiar? Daniel, Jacinda, Anastasia. Also this week, Dr Sebastian Rushgrove, a Swedish doctor writing on the Spectator Coffeehouse blog confirms firsthand the success of the Swedish approach. He writes, All the COVID patients have disappeared. It is now four months since the start of the pandemic and I haven't seen a single COVID patient in over a month, says the Swedish doctor Rushgrove. At the peak, three months back, 100 people were dying a day of COVID in Sweden, a country with a population of 10 million. We are now down to around five people dying per day in the whole country, and that number continues to drop. The daily risk per person of getting infected is one in 10,000, which is minuscule. Basically, COVID is in all practical senses over and done with in Sweden. After four months, Sweden ripped the metaphorical Band-Aid off quickly 
he writes, and got the epidemic over and done with in a short amount of time while the rest of the world has chosen to try to peel the Band-Aid off slowly. COVID is over in Sweden, he writes. People have gone back to their normal lives and barely anyone is getting infected anymore. I am willing to bet, he says, that the countries that have shut down completely will see rates spike when they open up. If that is the case, then there won't have been any point in shutting down in the first place. That's Sweden. It appears that the warnings we made on this program before anyone else in Australia may well have been accurate. And then there's Switzerland. And the use of the drug hydroxychloroquine banned in Victoria and Queensland for treating the coronavirus. As I have repeatedly pointed out on this show, there are now dozens of international studies that show the drug used in the correct combination with other drugs and the correct dose, it is effective, including the latest study that shows countries that use hydroxychloroquine early on have a 79% lower COVID-19 mortality rate. But here's the clincher. Switzerland briefly banned the drug after The Lancet claimed it was killing people. That's the medical journal. That study, you'll remember we discussed it here, was completely debunked. And two weeks later, The Lancet withdrew the study and immediately Switzerland reinstated the drug. And guess what happened? During the two weeks, Switzerland stopped using hydroxychloroquine. Well, according to a study done by John Hopkins University, the consequences of suddenly stopping hydroxychloroquine can be seen by examining the case fatality ratio index for Switzerland. It can be seen that during the weeks preceding the ban on hydroxychloroquine, the index fluctuated between 3 and 5%. But after stopping outpatient hydroxychloroquine use, the country's COVID-19 deaths increased four times to the highest level it had been since the pandemic began, oscillating at over 10 to 15%. Then, when early outpatient hydroxychloroquine was reinstated on June the 11th, the fourfold wave of excess lethality rapidly returned back to where it was. And there are plenty of other reports, such as the one on DocWire News, that says our findings suggest that patients confirmed for COVID-19 infection should be administered HCQ as soon as possible or a study from China that says patients treated, treated with HCQ at the time of early hospital recovered faster than those who were treated later, or another study that found that when the drug was given in the first seven days, the benefits were greatly improved, or this graph that shows the case fatality rate of countries in blue that use or encourage the drug, and in red, the ones that don't. I don't need to spell it out for you. But here's the real joke. I have been denigrated this week by the medical community in Australia for merely reporting this news and discussing uh, hydroxychloroquine use around the world, talking about the drug. Bizarrely, the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners magazine attacked me personally as well as federal MP Craig Kelly. You'd think these lefties might actually be worrying about curing COVID patients and protecting the elderly rather than... Okay. Where in the United States do you hear any journalist coming forward with the actual science from peer-reviewed literature and showing that we have a drug that's safe and effective? Okay, so those are the two clips from the Gary Knoll show that I'll share today. Um, <clears throat> he's got quite the sleepy voice, no sound effects, but um, he does share some interesting perspectives, and I think 
I will try and keep on uh, listening to him as long as he's on the air. Um, yeah, so now we're going to maybe get into some uh, of our new books. No, I mean, I really think we should clip this one clip from the guy who's talking about New York City. Because I think it's hilarious uh, from Free Talk Live. So let me clip that for you guys. Okay, so those are the two clips from the Gary Knoll show that I'll share today. Um, <clears throat> he's got quite the sleepy voice, no sound effects, but um, he does share some interesting perspectives, and I think I will try and keep on uh, listening to him as long as he's on the air. Um, Yeah, so now we're going to maybe get into some uh, of our new books. No, I mean, I really think we should clip this one clip from the guy who's talking about New York City. Because I think it's hilarious uh, from Free Talk Live. So let me clip that for you guys. Special guest co-host. It was Jay Noon for the first segment, and now he has transformed into Luke Radowski from We Are Change. Hey, Luke. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate being on here. This is the first time I'm kind of letting anyone know that I'm here in New Hampshire. You did it. Yeah, finally. Uh, I actually never left after this year's pork fest. I, I heard. Yeah, I, I, I'm i happy that, you know, that, that it hasn't gone around, but now I'm like, okay, it's enough. I, I've been here enough. It's time to let people know. I've been doing a lot of exciting, amazing projects. I've been having a lot Already? of fun here. Yeah. That's good, I mean, man. I mean, I'll tell you one thing. I've been to some crazy places. I've been to Mogadishu, yeah, Somalia. You to Venezuela. Venezuela, Caracas, Jeffrey Epstein's Island, Fukushima, <laughs> Japan. But there's no place crazier than New Hampshire. Oh, come I on. mean, I'm pretty <laughs> sure i'm pretty sure i saw a, a five-year-old kid walking door to door trying to sell nuclear weapons i'm pretty sure <laughs> i mean the amount of freedom that you have here it's absolutely wild i mean i'm a city slicker i'm from new york city but coming here to new hampshire man you guys got something special Hold on, up are here. you sure you're not exaggerating I mean, uh, maybe i don't know i i can't really fact check so i can't they weren't can't, nuclear weapons they, they were biological weapons okay, right. yeah yeah I, I can't really confirm nor deny but but uh, the amount of freedom here, I have to tell you, is pretty incredible. You feel like it's tangible from as somebody who's yeah. been in the city. I, I mean, I, I came from New York City. Mm -hmm. I came from the communist hellscape of New York City, and and, and finally, I, I get to breathe fresh air. It doesn't Did you smell actually like pee spend anymore. time? Because every time yeah. I see you, you know, on We Are Change yeah. and Jeff Berwick, you're always over doing something somewhere around the world. How much time were you actually spending in New York City on a yearly basis over the last yeah, five years? Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, usually a weekend. Uh, one uh, weekend or two, a year. <laughs> you, a weekend or two a month, usually, depending. But I okay. would always come back there. I would always do all these crazy travel hacking. But so. you grew up there. Yeah, grew up in New York City, went to the whole mm -hmm. public school. This mm -hmm. is why. I, I'm, I, I think I'm partly dyslexic now. This is why when, when <laughs> yeah. people look at my Facebook post, they kind of scratch their head like, what are you doing here? And, and, and I blame it on the New York City public school system. It mm -hmm. taught me a lot of things, but, but nothing regarding education. A lot of sure. a lot of you know uh, you know market analysis, a lot of uh, other things that I I, I don't want to get into. Sure, but but uh, you know there definitely wasn't a pr proper traditional education in New York City. But you know growing up there, I slowly when I first went to New York City, you know I came there as as a child from from Poland. So that's a that oh, was wow. a big huge culture and, shock. And how to old be. were you when, when you I was were... about ten years old? So that okay. was a big culture shock from. Poland with a bunch of family members, uncles, right. cousins to New York City. 
and just you know me and my mom and dad there and it was it was a big huge culture shock and that was around the 90s when new york city was still a kind of wild place it became more tame but now it's becoming more wild than you could ever imagine it it was it's nuts there it's absolutely crazy it's unlivable it's insane it's crazy i mean i'm i'm releasing a bunch of videos soon i haven't released them yet of Mm -hmm. me just walking around new york city showing uh, the trash, showing the interactions between private citizens uh, and police officers, showing the businesses that have been closed down, shut down. So these are recent videos. Yeah, okay. yeah, these are recent videos of me just walking around showing, hey, this is a, a business that can't operate because of the made-up mandates by Andrew Governor Como, that freaking lunatic that likes to put grannies in nursing homes and then freaking yeah. leave them out to, to pasture. I mean, God Gosh darn it! What what Andrew yeah. Cuomo did? He should be in jail. He should be right now handcuffed. He's Rikers Island. He yeah. celebrated as yeah. this great he wrote a leader. Book. He wrote a freaking book about his success. When meanwhile he had the highest death rate count than anywhere else per capita <laughs> all around the United States. Probably more in the world. I don't even know. I got fact check yeah. that. But but for freak's sakes, I mean. And then this this guy. And then you're talking about the Halloween news. He just announced that indoor dining's not going to happen. Oh yeah, because yeah. not because back. of your safety, not because of some scientific data and facts. He's saying indoor dining won't happen predominantly. Why? Can you guess why? Well, we re- reported a story. Maybe this is it that they don't have enough bureaucrats yeah, to enforce they it. They don't have enough statist brown nosing commies running around with the little placards. They want yeah. a crew of, I yeah. think, 5,000 uh, enforcers. Checking every right. little business. And the bodega owners, There's, if people don't know, you're from New Hampshire. You're corner from, stores. You're from, yeah, yeah, they're corner stores, yeah. if you don't know what bodegas are. There's a whole coalition of bodega owners. Yeah, <laughs> I don't believe that. I, wanna, no, I, wanna, I, wanna got, be, I have to verify this. Stores. I need to personally verify this. They're not this. run by uh, Indian people or anything. Well, but well, well, bodega stores Bitcoin. are usually independently run, entrepreneurial kind of, yeah. kind of businesses there. Got those. And then one thing you got to understand stand here they're getting the crap beat out of them because you know new yorkers especially in rougher areas we don't take any crap mm-hmm. and and the bodega owners are mandated by law to follow the made-up laws and, and credences by andrew como so andrew como says everyone has to social distance everyone has to wear a mask no matter what you're doing bodega owners are forced to tell everyone hey you guys gotta can't be together they're, and if they get caught they get their list, liquor license taken yeah. away so, so this so is step being one. the yeah. unpaid enforcers yeah. on behalf of the government goons, which is exactly the way it is here. Yeah. So, you know, things may be good out in the woods in a lot of New Hampshire, and I, as I understand it, you've spent some time in the woods here, so that's oh, that's yeah. nice. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but here in the big city of, uh, of Keene, <laughs> well, New Hampshire, I'm staying city. away from you, city slickers, man. I've learned the better ways. I've, I've hung out with but Jay. They're do, they're I'm doing done. The I'm done with you thing. guys. Yeah, you, they're you, doing the same thing here, though. They're telling business owners. If we catch you with people without masks on who don't have a, quote, medical exemption. So all you really have to do is just say you have a medical exemption and then everything should be okay. But they're going to target the business Not necessarily. A lot of the business aren't taking the risk. Yeah, they're scared. They're, yeah. they're not even letting anyone in with uh, without a mask. That's true. But I think they're misinterpreting the, the ordinances in that case. But effectively, they're turning the business owners into yeah. their unpaid enforcers, just yeah, like That's because City. they have a whole bunch of communist bootlickers walking around saying, well, yep. we're going to take away your privilege to exist as a business, as a private right. enterprise. I mean, that's insane. That's utterly freaking insane. But people are going crazy. along with it. Yeah. And, and, I mean, and you are... think it's bad here. It's nothing compared oh, yeah. to New York City. 
Nothing no compared doubt. to New York City. I mean, already, even before this this whole crisis, this whole made-up thing that was happening here, there's already a bunch of you know officers running around giving people tickets for, for the most absurd, idiotic, stupidest reasons. Oh, yeah. There was government officials going through your trash in New York City to make sure you recycled properly. You didn't recycle properly. <laughs> you got a $500 or a $1,000 fine. I mean, I had Here friends. you don't even have to recycle. Yeah. I haven't recycled in more than a yeah. decade. It feels good. It's like, yeah, throw all the plastic waste in there. I'm joking. I'm just well, being. Most of it is BS anyway. Uh, Yeah, the recycling thing is a whole other scam in itself because most of it creates more waste and more more byproduct and more hurt because people don't actually follow the proper protocols and the government hasn't announced the official protocols of exactly what can and cannot be recycled. And it was a big government make-work program in the 1980s when it was created. Anyway, Penn & Teller did an amazing episode on this. For anyone who hasn't seen it, just go online, search for Penn & Teller BS Recycling. I can't say what BS stands for because we're on the radio, but it'll you'll find it, I think, either way you spell it. Uh, Penn & Teller BS Recycling. It'll blow your mind. Everything's a scam, kids. Don't listen to any <laughs> of the indoctrination. Everything. Almost everything you look at. It's crazy. It's mind-boggling. I mean, I thought yeah, as so an independent lies. journalist, like, I'm going to run out of things to talk nope. about. I am not nope. at all. There's a That's lot. That's true. Uh, we got more coming up. You stick with us? Sure, yeah. All right. Luke Rowski is here from We Are Change. What what website should we be plugging Well, we got a big training time? course coming up, too. We're going to be talking about that okay, in a little right. bit, but WeAreChange.org is the main website where you can get everything up on there stand by we got more free talk live on the way you can take control of the airways plus we'll talk about the ban coming to halloween in los angeles county and you know it's going to be elsewhere it's going to spread it's free talk live and now for something completely different as you might have guessed i'm a real sucker for all of these things that have to do with language and symbols and knowledge even if i don't understand it i think it sounds shiny and fancy so what I would like to do now is play some clips from this new book, New Books Network. But I have to warn you that someone has actually managed to have a worse audio quality than my show. So it's B. Cope and M. Calensis, Making Sense, Reference Agency and Structure in, gram- in a Grammar of Multimodal Meeting. And um, <clears throat> we're going to... Uh, try and boost the audio on these clips because it's really bad. All right. Well, the first clip, we're going to hear from her, the Greek girl, Greek lady, and she talks about how people learn and trying to classify that. And then she's talking about creating an intermediate grammar or language that describes multiple modes of communication and learning so she's trying to incorporate the digital and my vision is my son you know using the tablet and playing with YouTube before he could really um, before he could really uh, you know read or write he was navigating the tablet and choosing the movies that he wants to watch and um, having a self-directed learning. So that is, um, I think, I hope that she's gonna incorporate something like that in, in this with different modes of learning, different forms of learning and media. So um, <clears throat> I have high hopes for this uh, 
lady, um, but the audio is really bad. But let's 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 have, hear what she has to say. Her introduction to us, or at least matter to us, is that education is a compulsory site. Everybody has to go to some form of, of education, formal or even a semi-formal, and that that was an important site to focus our work in understanding how. Uh, meaning is made uh, across the disciplines and for individuals and communities. So from the very beginning, uh, we looked at the tools that were used to make meaning in uh, the education system and beyond. Uh, and, of course, we started off with alphabetical literacy and traditional grammar and from there moved on to systemic functional linguistics as a way of uh, engaging with those issues in, in a, more, a broader way. Uh, around ecologies of meaning-making that uh, can be described as genres. Um, and in the end, we came to this point when, particularly as we moved into the digital age, where meaning-making is now uh, more powerful in forms beyond the alphabetical literacy. And we didn't have a grammar for that. We didn't have a meta-language for understanding the complex ways in which meaning is made in formal settings like schooling and beyond across the different modes with which people now, even small children, can engage with uh, through what the digital has afforded us. So all that's come together uh, in the work here, the, the, uh, our interest in history, the evolution of history, the evolution of how uh, people engage with each other in order to shape that history and understand the past uh, and how meaning uh, uh, is created through uh, different forms and, and different uh, functions that those forms play. Okay, now it's starting to get interesting. They're talking about language as written, computer code or internet web pages, and buildings all as making meaning for people. And then he really steps in it and says that there's no computer code that's not disconnected from some social or human context. And I disagree with that. <clears throat> I think that um, work in uh, neural networks unsupervised learning and deep learning has vast tracts of information that is not connected to the human context. It's not even apparent how it's connected directly or indirectly. I mean, it's loosely connected, but a great number um, of things have no meaning in um, <clears throat> computing. And we talked about the introspector, we talked about cryptography, the context of cryptography, where you have no meaning, no context inside of the cryptographic algorithm, right? You're just dealing with cryptographic data of different types, which is absolutely meaningless. So, I mean, yes, we can trace it back somehow to a human context, but I think that there will be a small class of disconnected and growing 
uh, meaning or computing that is not directly associated with any human context, okay? Um, just think about the compiler, okay? Yes, you have the source code um, that generates some machine language, but that source code could be lost. You know, think about the story about the core file where they lost the source code for the program. It only exists in a running state in memory, and they adjust it by peeking and poking bytes in memory, like this, this like classic story. I mean, yes, humans are interacting with it, and they're assigning meaning to the randomness, but it's really um, has lost its meaning, or its meaning is obscured. Anyway. Just wanted to point that out. Um, not everything is as straightforward as it seems. Um, <clears throat> but let's play this clip. Agenda, um, and I'm going to explain what I mean by that in a moment. It doesn't apply directly. It doesn't tell you how to teach a class in a particular subject in the way some of our other work kind of is very, very uh, direct about applicability. This is not direct about applicability, but the applicability um, agenda behind this is how can one build a framework which applies to teaching English or teaching language, but also applies in computer science or also applies in architecture or also in, applies in industrial design. So there are a lot of um, uh, disciplines in the university which involve various forms of um, making meanings in the world, the meanings of buildings, the meanings of software code, the meanings of um, uh, text in the case of anything involving writing, for example. So one of our agendas in this and the examples we give, by the way, um, are, are across all those areas. We parse buildings, uh, we parse music, we parse a whole lot of things. Try and, and, and when we do it, we try to use this shared framework. Now, the reason why, and this is the other applicability agenda, is that all these separate practices actually do fit over each other. There's no computers, computer science applications that don't happen in a social context with text on screens or people talking or people moving about doing things in the case of the internet of, of things and so on. So in other words, these, um, these um, applicabilities are not just broad and separate, but in the modern world, they're deeply integrated. So I Okay, we're going to close out with this last clip and this particular subject this duo, I'm going to have to listen to the whole thing again, and I'll give you a summary because they are almost totally incomprehensible. And, um, well, I guess that's why people like news, because they make it simple. So, <clears throat> thanks for listening, and I'll close out with this clip. Thanks. Good morning, people of Earth. It's me again, that voice in your ear, that guy who breathes heavy while going on morning walks, Hacker Mike, coming at you from the cloudy, rainy state of New Jersey, sandwiched between the river and the ocean at the site where 
the Delaware Indians, <clears throat> native people settled 20,000 years ago. And now they have the privilege of living in Kansas and running a casino. Ever wonder why there's Indians in Kansas? It's because they got kicked out of New Jersey by their friends. <clears throat> but they have a pretty cool casino out there in Topeka, the Prairie Band. And um, they sell cigarettes real cheap. They said to the white man, they said, you may have given us alcohol and taken our country, but we gave you cigarettes. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I have the most amazing um, podcast lined up for you. You know, we talk about memes. And the meme idea was uh, coined by Richard Dawkins in his book, The Selfish Gene. Well, this next podcast that I'm going to clip for you today is by a guy who has written another book. And he has gone deeper into um, the theories of memes and genes and natural selection and language. And it's a real treat. And this is actually a book I might even buy because this guy really nails it. And listening to it with you and clipping it is actually a great, great way for me to have a deeper understanding of something because by explaining it to someone else, my understanding becomes much deeper. I interact with the media much more. So, these amazing pauses, that was also annoying when I was listening. It's like, why is he taking such long pauses? Well, that's the think cycle. Those are the, that's the space between the lines. You know, when you're reading a book, you got space between the lines. Well, these are my pauses. That gives you time to think and me time to think. And it just sets stuff up. You can also put, just put this thing on faster if you want it to be faster. You could speed up my voice. I guess I could just remove the pauses. And you know, someday when artificial intelligence is more intelligent than a snail, you'll have the AI talking to you. You won't even need me. You'll just have the computer talking to you, telling you what's up. And the computer can take all this other information for you and condense it. But until then, until that day, where the computer can do all that for you, but just think what else it's going to do for you. <clears throat> if it can do all these good things, think about all the bad things it can do. And think about if it gets into the wrong hands. Like the person who wants to send you off 
to Kansas to live. Who decides that your home is now their backyard? What's going to happen then if they have the computer? Well, let's think about that. Because Just checking my mic. All right, we got sound check. What if that's what's happening with this COVID? You know, what if the computers are the influencers? And they're being run by someone who's not your friend, who's, who has an adverse agenda. It doesn't matter what it is. And we don't even need to go into conspiracy theories here. We just look at this power and we look at this influence and we see how Facebook and Google and Twitter are censoring. So I'm not actually getting censored on Twitter. But I'm definitely not getting a lot of traffic, let's put it that way. Like, I am relegated to the total sidelines. Like, nobody sees my tweets. <clears throat> and that's okay. Because I don't need the drama. If you listen to um, Joe Rogan's show, <clears throat> and he has 10 million listeners... I listened to Adam Curry's uh, breakdown of his interview there. And when you have 10 million listeners, you've got some crazy feedback. And people are going nuts. And you have some nutty people. And you're like the center of attention. I don't need to do that. This is my personal therapy session, you know? <clears throat> I don't need it to be a public thing. People who listen to this are my friends and people who I'm close to or have contact with. So this is kind of more like <clears throat> a less a less public thing. I mean of course I have to watch what I say because I need to practice operational security at all times walking the streets at night it's five o'clock in the morning cloudy but I've developed more confidence let me tell you that I'm not as afraid of wandering the city and the streets at night and I've really not seen too many people But back to the point. We have this media that's being controlled by the computer, that's being controlled by companies that 
are somehow in collusion if we look how people are being taken down at the same time all over the place in a coordinated effort and as I said I think it's the government but now I'm gonna say it's a tool and this tool is weaponizing the lazy people. It's turning them into the neurons of the matrix. We are the brain cells or the muscle cells that do their bidding, that are hooked up to the Facebooks and they influence that. They send a signal and that body reacts. So just think about that. It's creating a new level, a new Herrschaft, a lordship, a superiority. It's like who's controlling the media? Who's controlling the message? And, um, yeah, I got a, there are going to be a couple of cars on this road, so I'll just pause when they drive by so you don't have to hear them that bad. I really should have a pause button. So, just think about it. So yesterday we listened to how Sweden has handled this thing. And basically Sweden is done with COVID. Okay? Sweden is done with COVID because they went for herd immunity and achieved it. And they're back to normal and they're not afraid. Now we have been dragging this out through quarantines. And every time we open up, it gets worse again, so to say. And um, it's just dragging out. It's gonna drag out for a long time. So it seems to me that the only outcome, and as I said, my the people who I talk to, they're like, oh yeah, we're going to wait for the vaccine, and then things are going to go back to normal. Well, that vaccine is totally experimental, and it actually changes your DNA. So maybe that's the goal. Maybe that's the goal to finally force people into a situation where they're going to get genetically modified DNA. And imagine if they could have a chip to record that, like they're trying to do in, in Africa. I mean, just think about the censorship and control possibilities. And we see that as being done to people who are really 
have very little to say. Now, luckily in America, and not all my listeners are in America, but luckily in America, we do have something to say still. And as we learned, every single little freedom that we give up will never be given back. So it is our right, it's our duty to fight against this in every way we can. For the very simple point that we're going to fight for the freedoms of our children. And their children. And this is not about this one deal. You know, and if we have to die from COVID to protect them from having a tyranny of technology and genetic modification, well then that's something we have to do. But it turns out that this um, this uh, virus is not as strong as it should be, it's not killing enough people to really justify things. So maybe it just needs to mutate. And then we'll look at round two. Luckily, I got Rona 21. I should make something with those websites, those domains. I hooked up my wife with Squarespace yesterday, and she's really, really happy with it. That's exactly what she wants in a website builder. And that's cool. So guys, that's it for me right now. My little introduction. I don't have too much else to say. We're going to get into some awesome clips soon. I think I might go to the gym, pump some iron. Now that it's open, I'm going to go every day at least and start working on building up my, um, my strength again. Because I was really up there. I could hardly push that sled uh, with um, eight times... So 400, or a little bit under 400 pounds. And I was up to like 600 before. good coffee yep so we're going to uh, start our clips and um, this is gonna be a new format for a while my introductory uh, rant get stuff off my chest then go into some uh, random clips now we never finished up yesterday's um, podcast with that uh, that horrible audio and those two people talking seems to be nonsense about their ontology 
but I started to read their book online, PatternsMeaning.com, I think, and I am going to uh, spend some more time researching it because I do want to um, see how our tax money is being spent. I mean, I'm not totally convinced of their arguments, and they're not really making a convincing argument. They're more... I mean, I'm gonna look at... They talk about UML as a language, and um, I'm gonna look at the parts that I know about and see if I can try and decipher what the hell they're going on about. But what I think they're talking about is they're saying that there is a transposition or connection between different multi, the different modes or media. Yeah, so we got modes and we got forms. So, but they're kind of talking about like the effects on masses, like the picture of Abu Ghraib. A picture is a thousand worth a thousand words, that type of thing. Well, we knew that. Pictures worth a thousand words. And um, the visual input system being higher bandwidth than the linear. Well, of course, words are words are uh, visual, but they lack they lack information. They lack the picture. So the, the, the interpretation of the words follows the visual, and the visual can give you a direct reaction where the words have to be interpreted. So it's a layer, a burden of interpretation on the written word versus the visual image. And they were saying that the picture fueled public outcry that the words never did. Well, you don't have to... Like, who reads Red Cross reports? And who reads any reports? And the news is always full of horrible things. So, but you see a picture of something horrible, something obscene, something completely out of context. Well, that is something you can understand immediately. That shocks you. It hasn't. <clears throat> 
it's more motivating. So that fuels a meme much better. That's why memes are generally just pictures, and they're pictures of things that you know that are then twisted. Well, text. And very little text, that is. I'm talking about the internet memes. Not the meme memes. Okay, guys. Well, that's it for um, well, okay, let me just finish this thing. So basically, they're saying that there is a something that's being contained, some information, some facts that are being transported through different channels. They go into different parts of the brain. They have different uptakes, and then they feed off of each other. See, that's where we have the creation of symbols, or the, I guess you said, transposition. So it comes in as a picture, and you emit words, so you're describing it. Okay. And there's flows. So basically, they're trying to just describe things and classify them. All right, we're going to have to study this a little bit more. And I haven't even finished listening to all of it because it's so difficult to listen to. But we're going to try again. But first, today, we're going to listen to this, uh, this great new book. And uh, yeah, time for some weightlifting now. Good morning, people of Earth. It's me again. That voice in your ear. That guy who breathes heavy while going on morning walks. Hacker Mike. Coming at you from the cloudy, rainy state of New Jersey. Sandwiched between the river and the ocean. At the site where the Delaware Indians, <clears throat> native people, settled 20,000 years ago. And now they have the privilege of living in Kansas and running a casino. Ever wonder why? there's Indians in Kansas it's because they got kicked out of New Jersey by their friends <clears throat> but they have a pretty cool casino out there in Topeka Prairie Band and um, they sell cigarettes real cheap. They said to the white man, they said, you may have given us alcohol and taken our country, 
but we gave you cigarettes. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I have the most amazing um, podcast lined up for you. You know, we talk about memes. And the meme idea was coined by Richard Dawkins in his book, The Selfish Gene. Well, this next podcast that I'm going to clip for you today is by a guy who has written another book. And he has gone deeper into um, the theories of memes and genes and natural selection and language. And it's a real treat. And this is actually a book I might even buy. Because this guy really nails it. And listening to it with you and clipping it is actually a great great way for me to have a deeper understanding of something. Because by explaining it to someone else, my understanding becomes much deeper. I interact with the media much more. So, these amazing pauses, that was also annoying when I was listening. It's like, why is he taking such long pauses? Well, that's the think cycle. Those are the, that's the space between the lines. You know, when you're reading a book, you got space between the lines. Well, these are my pauses. That gives you time to think and me time to think. And it just sets stuff up. You can also put, just put this thing on faster if you want it to be faster. You could speed up my voice. I guess I could just remove the pauses. And you know, someday when artificial intelligence is more intelligent than a snail, you'll have the AI talking to you. You won't even need me. You'll just have the computer talking to you, telling you what's up. And the computer can take all this other information for you and condense it. But until then, until that day, where the computer can do all that for you, but just think what else it's going to do for you. If it can do all these good things, think about all the bad things it can do. And think about if it gets into the wrong hands. Like the person who wants to send you off to Kansas to live. Who decides that your home is now their backyard. What's going to happen then if they have the computer? Well, let's think about that. Because Just checking my mic. All right, we got sound check. What if that's what's happening with this COVID? You know, what if the 
computers are the influencers and they're being run by someone who's not your friend, who's, who has an adverse agenda. It doesn't matter what it is. And we don't even need to go into conspiracy theories here. We just look at this power and we look at this influence and we see how Facebook and Google and Twitter are censoring. So I'm not actually getting censored on Twitter, but I'm definitely not getting a lot of traffic, let's put it that way. Like I am relegated to the total sidelines. Like nobody sees my tweets. <clears throat> and that's okay. Because I don't need the drama. If you listen to um, Joe Rogan's show, <clears throat> and he has 10 million listeners, I listened to Adam Curry's uh, breakdown of his interview there. And when you have 10 million listeners, you've got some crazy feedback. And people are going nuts. And you have some nutty people. And you're like the center of attention. I don't need to do that. This is my personal therapy session, you know? <clears throat> I don't need it to be a public thing. People who listen to this are my friends and people who I'm close to or have contact with. So this is kind of more like <clears throat> a less a less public thing. I mean, of course I have to watch what I say because I need to practice operational security at all times. Walk in the streets at night. It's five o'clock in the morning, cloudy. But I've developed more confidence, let me tell you that. Not as afraid of wandering the city in the streets at night. And I've really not seen too many people. But back to the point. We have this media that's being controlled by the computer, that's being controlled by companies that are somehow in collusion. If we look how people are being taken down at the same time all over the place, in a coordinated effort. And as I said, I think it's the government. But now, I'm gonna say it's a tool, and this tool is weaponizing the lazy people. It's turning them into the neurons of the matrix. We are the brain cells, or the muscle cells, that do their bidding, that are hooked up to the Facebooks, and they influence that, they send a signal, and that body reacts. 
so just think about that. It's creating a new level, a new Herrschaft, a lordship, a superiority. It's like, who's controlling the media? Who's controlling the message? And, um, Yeah, I gotta, there are going to be a couple of cars on this road, so I'll just pause when they drive by so you don't have to hear them that bad. I really should have a pause button. So, just think about it. So yesterday we listened to how Sweden has handled this thing, and basically Sweden is done with COVID, okay? Sweden is done with COVID because they went for herd immunity and achieved it. And they're back to normal, and they're not afraid. Now we have been dragging this out through quarantines. And every time we open up, it gets worse again, so to say. And, um... It's just dragging out. It's going to drag out for a long time. So it seems to me that the only outcome... And as I said, my the people who I talk to, they're like, oh yeah. We're going to wait for the vaccine, and then things are going to go back to normal. Well, that vaccine is totally experimental, and it actually changes your DNA. So maybe that's the goal. Maybe that's the goal, to finally force people into a situation where they're going to get genetically modified DNA. And imagine if they could have a chip. To record that, like they're trying to do in, in Africa. I mean, just think about the censorship and control possibilities. And we see that as being done to people who are really have very little to say. Now, luckily in America, and not all my listeners are in America, but luckily in America, we do have something to say still. And as we learned, Every single little freedom that we give up will never be given back. So it is our right, it's our duty to fight against this in every way we can. For the very simple point that we're going to fight for the freedoms of our children. And their children. And this is not about this one deal. You know, and if we have to die from COVID to protect them from 
having a tyranny of technology and genetic modification, well then that's something we have to do. But it turns out that this, um, this uh, virus is not as strong as it should be, it's not killing enough people to really justify things. So maybe it just needs to mutate. And then we'll look at round two. Luckily I got Rona 21. I should make something with those websites, those domains. I hooked up my wife with Squarespace yesterday and she's really, really happy with it. That's exactly what she wants in a website builder. And that's cool. So guys, that's it for me right now. My little introduction. I don't have too much else to say. We're going to get into some awesome clips soon. I think I might go to the gym, pump some iron. Now that it's open, I'm going to go every day at least and start working on building up my, um, my strength again. Because I was really up there. I could hardly push that sled uh, with um, eight times, so 400, or a little bit under 400 pounds. And I was up to like 600 before. good coffee yep so we're going to uh, start our clips and um, this is gonna be a new format for a while my introductory uh, rant get stuff off my chest then go into some uh, random clips now we never finished up yesterday's um, podcast with that uh, that horrible audio and those two people talking seems to be nonsense about their ontology but I started to read their book online patternsmeaning.com I think and I'm going to uh, spend some more time researching it because I do want to um, see how our tax money is being spent I mean, I'm not totally convinced of their arguments, and they're not really making a convincing argument. They're more... I mean, I'm gonna look at... They talk about UML as a language, and... Um, I'm gonna look at the parts that I know about, and see if I can try and decipher what the hell they're going on about. But what I think they're talking about 
is they're saying that there is a transposition or connection between different multi the different modes or media yeah so we got modes and we got forms so but they're kind of talking about like the effects on masses like the picture of Abu Ghraib picture is a thousand worth a thousand words that type of thing well we knew that pictures worth a thousand words and um, the visual input system being higher bandwidth and the linear well of course words are words are uh, visual but they lack they lack information they lack the picture so the the, the interpretation of the words follows the visual and the visual can give you a direct reaction where the words have to be interpreted. So it's a layer, a burden of interpretation on the written word versus the visual image. And they were saying that the picture fueled public outcry that the words never did. Well, you don't have to... Like, who reads Red Cross reports? And who reads any reports? And the news is always full of horrible things. So, but you can see a picture of something horrible. Something obscene, something completely out of context. Well, that is something you can understand immediately. That shocks you. It hasn't... <clears throat> it's more motivating. So that fuels a meme much better. That's why memes are generally just pictures. And they're pictures of things that you know that are then twisted. Well, text. And very little text, that is. I'm talking about the internet memes. Not the meme memes. Okay, guys. Well, that's it for... Um, Okay, let me just finish this thing. So basically, 
they're saying that there is a something that's being contained, some information, some facts that are being transported through different channels. They go into different parts of the brain. They have different uptakes and then they feed off of each other. See, that's where we have the creation of symbols or the, I guess you said, transposition. So it comes in as a picture and you emit words, so you're describing it. Okay. And there's flows. So basically they're trying to just describe things and classify them. All right, we're gonna have to study this a little bit more. And I haven't even finished listening to all of it because it's so difficult to listen to. But we're gonna try again. But first today we're gonna listen to this, uh, this great new book. And uh, yeah, time for some weightlifting now.